Welcome back, everybody. It is the Locked On Eagles podcast, available on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's Lou DiBiase hanging out with you. Glad to be back, and I'm very excited for this segment of the show because we got a really interesting guest that's going to get to the salary cap part of the Philadelphia Eagles, which you, the fans, actually requested an episode of that we were going to talk about the Eagles cap situation because it is tight, and there's a lot of talented players that have been locked up on the Eagles, some guys that are going to be you know, looking for new contracts next year. So we brought on Zach Moore from OverTheCap.com. He's also the author of Caponomics, which is a book he wrote about Super Bowl champions and how they built their teams from a cap perspective. Uh, a very interesting book. I'm reading it currently. Zach, are you on the air with us? Yes, sir. How you doing? Hey, man. How's it going? Good. Really good. Glad Very, to happy to be here with you guys. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad to have you on because, you know, Zach, I think the salary cap, I think, you know, I think even you mentioned it in your book. The NFL has kind of become a basically a 12-month thing now. Everyone with how excited people get for free agency, the NFL draft, um, you know, contracts, even this Le'Veon Bell stuff that's going on. Everyone now is very interested, and I think it's because of Madden, also fantasy football. People really like to play GM, so they're intrigued by you know the salary cap and contracts and negotiations. But it's it's an area that's very complex. It, there's a lot of aspects to it, so I think it's an area still fans are not very familiar with, including myself. I've been, over the years, trying to understand more and more about the salary cap, and you clearly are very familiar with it, and, uh, you know, what, what's your perspective just on, do you think the salary cap is kind of almost misunderstood? I mean, how just how complex is it, you know, it, not just in the NFL, but in sports? One aspect of uh, what I set out to do with my book was give people context for understanding what everything means, because mm-hmm. a lot of times we talk about uh, a dollar figure a player is making, but that doesn't really give us context for what it means from a value perspective because the dollar figures are always changing in terms of what it means from a salary cap perspective. Like if someone's making $14 million a year, it doesn't tell you how it impacts the team in terms of I, – I converted everything to percentage of salary cap right. so that you can look across years, you can study across years what certain teams are doing, how they've managed their cap in the past. And I think that that is is hopefully going to gain some. Well, I, I don't think. I mean, I'm hoping that that'll gain some traction, and um, and people will be under, able to understand the production value from a sort of per, percentage of salary cap basis, where they can look at a player, uh, how much of the salary cap he's taking up, and say to themselves, "All right, is he worth that much in terms of the production value he's going to provide for my team?" Right. And then you start start to get this understanding of where teams are spending their money, what they're supposed to be getting out of these players, what a bad contract is, what a bad cap hit is. And hopefully over the next few years, because people are understanding, like you said, because of Madden, I mean, I loved playing Madden (laughs) franchise mode growing up. I love fantasy football. And these things are hopefully, uh, the the salary cap aspect is that people want to know what their team's doing in the offseason and why they're doing it and how it factors in, because there's a fun business perspective to have on it where it's like, if I was the GM, what would I do? What does exactly. this mean? So I think that, uh, I, well, I, I'm hopeful that the people right over the cap that we're kind of providing some sort of basis of understanding so people can, can start to understand those conversations and, and understand what a team's supposed to do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I go to over the cap basically every offseason now to see, all right, what's the Eagles situation here? Where 
what space do we have to use on this guy if we cut so-and-so? You know, what, what can we free up yes. the space? So it's, it's definitely something that I've used. It's a very useful tool. So um, we're talking with Zach Moore from OverTheCap.com, also the author of Caponomics, Building Super Bowl Champions from a Cap Perspective. So I was reading your book, Zach, and uh, right when we get in, I'm obviously the host of the Eagles, uh, Locked on Eagles podcast, diehard Eagles fan, and I saw that back in 2015 when Chip Kelly got control of the Philadelphia Eagles player personnel, you know, the whole him and Howie Roseman power struggle, him and the Eagles coaching staff met with you, if I'm not mistaken, about the data you've collected on Super Bowl teams, and you wrote that the Eagles have constructed a roster that agrees with a lot of the principles in the book. Could you tell me more about that meeting, if you can? It always seemed like Chip was trying to be ahead of the curve in the NFL, and although on the field he was kind of conservative, it didn't really translate, he did have some interesting ideas, and the Eagles really now, though, too, are one of the more innovative teams, I at least I would like to say, not just on the field, you know, with Doug Peterson going for it on fourth down all the time, they give him, you know, advanced statistics, percentages in his headset, I believe. So um, they're not just on the field, they're very innovative, but off the field, it's pretty interesting to see how they've been constructing their roster. If you could, just tell me a little bit more about that meeting and just, you know, the Eagles philosophy. So in 2015, I started, I, I gained, I put together all this information on the Super Bowl champions up to that point. And uh, James Harris, the former chief of staff there, mm-hmm. uh, contacted me. They were trying to put together the same data that I had gotten from Jason Fitzgerald at Over the Cap that he had put together since 1994 oh, wow. uh, through USA Today. Um, and then they wanted to discuss some of those things and, and see what the information there was. And so I sent my stuff over to them. I had a few more conversations with them over the course of the year. Um, and just I even I even suggested to James and and what you were saying about uh, us coming to different uh, to the same conclusions it's it's it was interesting to watch over the last two years because i haven't been talking to them over the last two years right uh and to watch them come to similar conclusions that i've come to in terms of where they're spending their money like safety and tight ends and, and um you know spending money on defensive tackles like timmy jernigan and and developing uh, such so much pressure on the defensive line, investing in the offensive line when they have a low-cost quarterback to, mm-hmm. to elevate the play of the running and passing game, um, and spending their money in ways that were wise and that were that jive with what you'll see in that book, uh, in 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 where they're spending and, and the pressure they're producing on the defensive line and things like that. And I had even said to Harris um, in November of that year, I was I was thinking about their quarterback situation with Sam Bradford, and it was like. It's apparent that Bradford's not the guy, right? But what you might want to do is you might want, and this is far uh, less. Uh, this is they, what they ended up doing when they went and got Carson Wentz, kept Bradford, and got Chase Daniel was even better than what I was suggesting at the time. Was all right, you got Bradford, you have Sanchez, they're capable quarterbacks, but then you don't have a top top pick in the draft so why not go after a guy like Dak Prescott you know he's going to be good he's, mm-hmm. he's accurate he doesn't turn the ball over he's mobile which is what Kelly's system needed and then you you fast forward to Doug Peterson being the head coach and Carson Wentz was from the day that you knew they were going to draft him mm-hmm. you, you see the film on him and you see see what kind of athlete he is the prototype for that that sort of system and that's become really largely what they based this current roster off of was an understanding of what Donovan McNabb did for you guys for, you know, 10 years. Right. And then an understanding of what Alex Smith was able to accomplish in Kansas City. And then saying to yourself, all right, 
Carson Wentz is going to cost us three to four and a half percent of the salary cap over the next four seasons. We're going to be able to build a team around him, and then we're we're just we just have to be hopeful that he produces at a similar level to Donovan McNabb, which isn't that very hard because during the Andy Reid era, I just looked this back up um, from 1999 to 2012. Philadelphia quarterbacks only completed 58.5 percent of passes. They oh, only wow. had. 239 yards per game, 7.0 yards per attempt, 24 touchdowns to 14.7 interceptions. So when you see something like that, you say, are we potentially able to get that out of Carson Wentz? And, and it becomes a, it, uh, it, you look at the player he was and, and the system he's going into, and it, it's like, all right, that's a, that's a pretty likely uh, scenario. Yeah. So you kind of are working off this hypothesis, and, and that's one thing. Uh, I'm, I'm going to write a second book about the Eagles and their – history, go over the history of the NFL and the mm-hmm. principles the game's built on, go through the Andy Reid era, through the Chip Kelly era, and the Doug Peterson era. And the Andy Reid era really served as sort of an experiment for the current roster that we're seeing now, is that you saw what Andy Reid was able to accomplish with Donovan McNabb at like around 9% of the salary cap, and, and his inefficiencies, his turnovers, his lack of, uh, lack of uh, accuracy, and you're able to see how the current roster would be able to perform if they made these adjustments around a player who could perform at a similar level for much lower cost. And, um, you know, that, that, that has resulted in a Super Bowl. We're talking with Zach Moore from OverTheCap.com, also author of Caponomics. So let's go to Howie Roseman now. He is a guy that really went, again, started basically. He was the, 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 new, the new young shot um, GM that took over, and then he lost power to Chip Kelly, didn't have control in that 2015 season, comes back, and now people probably consider him to be one of the best general managers in the NFL. He's built a roster through multiple venues, you know, the draft, free agency, trades. I feel like he's really started almost the new trade era in the NFL, or at least has made yeah. it more of an option in the NFL, whereas before you really just didn't see big trades. It just seemed like Teams were unwilling to give up picks for players, and it's. But now suddenly you see it a lot in the past two years, and we were just talking about it. You know how they've constructed the roster with the types of data uh, that you've collected. What are your thoughts on the job Howie Roseman's done building a roster that really is one of the deepest in the NFL? It seems like every time you think the Eagles can't keep someone, I thought Nigel Bradham was as good as gone this year. Roseman, Roseman, yeah, Roseman finds a way with. You know, I don't know if it's either turning salary cap and you know the roster bonuses. He he changed up Zach Ertz's cap hit. Uh, Brandon Brooks, Lane Johnson. How has Roseman been able to manage this team and keep the majority of the core intact? Because it just seems like I was looking at it this year and I was shocked by the job he did. Yeah, me too. I I, I wasn't. I, I had talked to the Wall Street Journal earlier this year, and uh, who was it over there? Uh, Andrew Be- uh, Ben Beaton. Andrew mm. Beaton had had. We were talking about uh, Nick Foles and the potential of him being traded. But then they went out and they actually gave Foles a raise this year, right. and then they tacked on a year next year so they can continue to play their game of trading quarterbacks. And it goes back to what I was saying about the Bradford situation, is that when you have viable options at quarterback, they're such a valuable asset. And that's what Roseman's really doing is he's, he's understanding the value of a draft pick, for instance, trading for Jay Ajayi, understanding that a fourth-round pick has a, this you know, uh, X percent probability of becoming a starter. Yeah. Um, and, and understanding that Jay Ajayi, what can he bring to you now and the next year uh, in terms of the 2017 trade? And, and it comes back to uh, that Bradford trade was when with the Wentz 
what it, uh, what having Bradford allowed them to do. Sure, they they had a lot of dead money because of Bradford, but what it it's kind of uh, when you have a, when you're able to get the quarterback of the future, that's that's a consequence you're willing to take. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you also want that stability at the position just in case you can't go up and get him. So what ended up happening in that scenario was, yeah, they traded away five picks for two to go up and draft Carson Wentz, but then they. Uh, when they traded Bradford, they got a first-round pick back, which was one of the first-round picks they traded away, and then they drafted Derek Barnett, mm-hmm. and they got a fourth-round pick they traded for Jay Ajayi. And then you see in the NFC Championship game, the Vikings are going downfield, down 14-7 on, like, on I think it was the 16-yard line, yep. on third and five. Kyle Rudolph is on a corner route. He has a step on his defender. Might be a touchdown. Stephon Diggs is uh, running an in route, and he's got a step on his defender. Might be a first down. Derek Barnett, the guy they drafted with the That's pick right. they got for Bradford, sack fumble. They go downfield. The Vikings touch the ball one more time between uh, the t- well. The the Eagles ended up scoring thirty. The, by the time the Vikings got the ball back mm-hmm. after having just one drive in this in this, I think it was a four possession span. The score is uh, 31 seven. The game's basically over. The next drive, the Vikings have to uh, have to uh, go for it on fourth down. And then it's 38-7, and the game's basically over early in the fourth quarter. So it, it, he's understanding better than, uh, you know, as well as Bill Belichick does, because Belichick has been doing this for years, and now Howie Roseman is kind of one of the, the, the main guys doing it now that's kind of, because it's not, it's not something new. It's something that Jimmy Johnson was doing in the, in the early 90s. He had 51 trades in five years wow. there, while the rest of the league, which was more than the rest of the league combined. Yeah. So these, these, these great GMs are understanding the value of these positions, and, and that's part of why uh, they've been able to develop such a strong roster. And it's also um, to the point of uh, the guys they've re-signed to extensions during the last two years. Uh, they have, I have a list here of you know, Malcolm Jenkins, Zach Ertz, Jason Kelsey was signed to an extension real early on, yep. Lane Johnson, Jernigan, Peters, Cox, Jeffrey. And then there's just it's, it's there's eight really big contributing players right there. Then you've got a, you know nine or ten or twelve guys that are starters that are drastic. So he's done a phenomenal job of combining of, of doing the doing the research and and having the kind of success that teams should be having in the draft. It just seems um, like he's not afraid to really explore every asset and like ways to collect yeah. talent on the team right because like you just said he's got you know that all the talent he's paying a lot of those guys but then he has players like Jalen Mills and yeah. Jordan Hicks who are still on rookie Carson Wentz who are still in the running backs Ronald Darby who are all on rookie deals still yeah and and uh to that to that point of uh of uh what you're saying about extensions well there's also low cost free agents too that he goes out and sign and, and I heard a talk at the Wharton uh, I saw it online. There's a there's a really good Wharton Analytics Conference piece uh, where Howie Rosen is talking about his thought process, and it and it was cool to see because it it's what I thought that teams should be thinking about too. Is like you're trying to collect all this data, and all you're trying to do is see how it all meshes together, and what's the probability of this happening if we mm-hmm. do this. So it's kind of like a lot of, and he does like a lot of if then statements. So it's like if we do this, then this happens. So it's it's thinking about how how the chess pieces move together. And how, if I do this move, what am I able to afford over here? What can I, you know, how, how can I build my roster? And what are the probability of these things happening at this position? What's the probability of this player producing at the level we want him to? What is our backup plan? What's our contingency plan? So he, he's just, yeah. a, he's really 
does the, not just the analytics, but then he then he analyzes the the sport in such a such an interesting way. What is you know compared to past eras? You mentioned Andy the Andy Reid era. Joe Banner was part of the front office. Then Chip Kelly in twenty fifteen. How has Roseman maybe differed in the way those guys manage not only the roster but the salary cap? What seems to be, I mean, we just talked about his strategy, but what is the really the difference? You said you're going to write a book about, you know, the, the Eagles and their past um, front off, their past regimes. What, what's the difference between like what those guys tried to do and what Howie Roseman's currently doing? I'm seeing a lot of similarities rather than differences because okay. that team that those that organization was uh, the organization at that time. Went to five uh, NFC Championship games during uh, from between 2001 and 2008, right? Yeah, yeah 2008. Um, and so that's five NFC Championship appearances in like in, in eight years. They were doing something right. One thing that I'm seeing similarly is the saving money at running back. That's that's a position that the Eagles are continue and continuously going to save money at because of the the, the style of the offense. Right. Um, Andy Reid's Andy, Andy Reid doesn't get enough credit. Uh, Mike Shanahan gets all this credit for what he's done with running backs, but Andy Reid hasn't gotten a similar amount of credit for what he has done at the running back position. It, it seems like whoever he puts back there in Kansas City or in Philadelphia produces. Mm-hmm. So there's a knowledge there of what they need at that position to succeed. And I'm going to get deeper into what they did on the rest of the roster there. Yeah. Um, but but I do know that they, they they've always spent money on defense. Um, wide receiver is typically a position where they'll save money, which is which is becoming a little bit different with Alshon Jeffrey on a high deal. But that was kind of what they experimented with in 2004 with Terrell Owens because Owens they they had they had gotten to the brink for so many years, so they see the potential of a Terrell Owens or an Alshon Jeffrey to increase the increase the production of the quarterback. Mm-hmm. So that's an interesting piece I see there because maybe they do believe that they might need a wide receiver one type of player. And they might be able to afford it right now with Wentz on a rookie contract because even his fifth-year deal, uh, his fifth-year option, uh, will be less than 10% of the salary cap. So I wow. think they're looking at that as an opportunity. Uh, yeah, it'll be about 9.7 because yeah. the salaries for that year will be he'll, he'll be around 20 million with his fifth-year option. So it's still kind of a deal. Um, and with Jeffrey and then with Zach Ertz in the offense, and then the other thing they're doing too which is similar to what the Patriots have done uh, or did in the past with the Rob Gronkowski-Aaron Hernandez combo, combo, is now they've got Zach Ertz and Dallas Goder. Mm-hmm. So they're going to be able to run an offense through this, these two incredible mismatches because most teams don't have a tight end, who uh, so, don't have someone who can stop a tight end. But now you have two guys who might be just as good as each other and both could be 1,000-yard receivers if they were the main, focal, main only focal point of an offense. So that's one, one thing that the organization is doing currently that they did in the past too. The Eagles and the Andy Reid system always got production out of the tight end, but now they're taking it to a new level with Ertz and then with Godert as well. But uh, I think the, the Eagles of the past have always had a great defensive line as well. This current uh, rendition of the team also has a great defensive line. I mean, there's a shocking stat that like they had seven guys with over 20 pressures last year, yep. and they produced pressure on 40% of dropbacks which is just an astounding number because that decreases the quarterback's efficiency from a QB rating from like 92 to like 63. Especially considering they never blitz either. I mean, a lot of the time they're mostly running four pass rushers up front and that's it. And that's what's so valuable about about the Jim Schwartz system. Mm -hmm. Because Schwartz 
has that wide nine system, which is uh, is currently allowing them to save a little bit of money at quarterback co- cornerback, um, and they also spent money at safety, which is which is a really good investment because safety, great safeties are half the cor- cost of great cornerbacks, and safeties are some of the most important players on the field because they're the guys that they that cover the biggest mismatches on the on the other team. They'll cover the tight ends, they'll cover the running backs, they'll cover the slot receivers. So these are freak athletes that aren't really getting their due because everyone's looking at the freak cornerback athlete or the freak defensive end yep. and paying them nine or ten percent of the cap. But while you got Malcolm Jenkins and, and Roddy McLeod at four or five percent of the cap. So these are valuable players and then at cornerback and, and here's the thing, the arithmetic on the back end becomes where you're only rushing four, you've got seven guys in coverage. So you have a variety of different strategies you can use on the back end to um, to 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 further uh, decrease the offense's efficiency because now you've got seven guys potentially defending the offense's five. True, right. And that's what a lot of football comes down to, the arithmetic yeah. of it. What about, you know, I mean, Reed was similar to Roseman. What about just I want to go back to Chip Kelly real quick because yeah. it was it was such a, it was just a one year thing but there was so much chaos where there was just a lot of different just so much movement the roster was just changing around what did Chip Kelly try to do how did he fall short as a general manager I mean there was a lot of things I can go into about a head coach and just as a leader of a team but as a GM what was Chip Kelly doing really that just what went wrong? Did he do some things right as a GM? I'm always curious because it was such a crazy just one-year experiment and that ended right after. I think his issue was he, he – it was kind of like that dream team that was put together, and I think, what was it, 2011? 2011, um, yeah. Yeah, and it's just so many different moving parts come to a team at one time, and, and it's, it, it's, it's a game where there's a certain amount of working together there's a certain amount of understanding what you have on your roster. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he just put together so many different players into one year. And there was so much – I mean, you got a new quarterback. You got – all your running backs are new. Uh, it just – it ended up being a situation where uh, I think and, – and a coach – it's difficult to coach a brand-new team, basically. And he put himself in a position yeah. to coach a brand-new team. So it was – you know, there were, there were issues there. And I think that's his biggest – fault as a GM was probably trying to do too much in too short a time. True. We're talking with Zach Moore of OverTheCap.com, also author of Caponomics. Zach, the Eagles have some key players still hitting free agency next year. I mean, Jay Ajayi is going to be an unrestricted free agent. Ronald Darby. Brandon Graham's going to, you know, he's been looking for a new deal. Eventually, they're going to have to pay Carson Wentz. Are they going to be able to keep, I don't know, I wouldn't say the majority of these guys, are, but are they only going to have to choose maybe between one or two of these other players outside of Wentz, you know, when we're talking about Jai, Darby, Graham, are they going to realistically be able to maneuver the cap next year and keep some of these players, if any? So they cur- they're currently about twenty eight point nine million dollars over the cap. Wow! But that is that's also factoring in Nick Foles' twenty point six million dollar cap hit, and he has one point eight million in dead money. And there's so almost there's no potential- way to keep that next year, right? No. Barring a Carson no. Wentz just disastrous injury again, knock on wood? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's really, there's really almost, even then there's almost no scenario that they keep him. Right, Although yeah. they can they can clear quite a bit of money with, with a few other guys I have listed here that I'll get to. But there's $18.8 million in savings. So that at that point, we put him at about $10.1 million over the cap. Okay. And you know, with Foles, they'll probably get a second-round pick or a third-round pick for him. Mm-hmm. Um so there's a, I mean, who knows? Maybe they even get a first round pick, but I, I find that to be an unlikely scenario. Yeah, I agree. Um, but that's because we're talking about 
uh, Ajayi, Darby, and Brandon Graham. Right. So there's an opportunity there to gain another draft pick to potentially replace one of those guys. So there's that's that's one of the moving parts there. Mm-hmm. And then we've got we look at the rest of this. You got Nelson Aguilar who has 9.85 million with zero dead money, and that's the kind of move that you could see them making in terms of uh, does uh, Shel- Shelton Gibson develop further into a, a, a potential wide receiver to take over that role and okay. you trade Aguilar and then you, you you know you get a good draft pick in return if he has a good season similar to what the Patriots just did with Brandon Cooks Jason Peters could could clear eight million in savings and that's dependent on how they feel about Vitae and yeah. you know he just won a Super Bowl without Peters so that I know seems he's like a, a likely thing I mean yeah I know everyone loves him. Everyone loves Jason Peters, but he's going to be, what, 37 at that point? That probably yeah. seems like a likely possibility. So there's $8 million in savings right there. So now you're only $2.1 million over the cap. So now we're, now we're looking at Michael Bennett could save $7 million. Jason yeah. Kelsey, which is a, I think is an unlikely scenario, would be 6.5. Chris Long would save 5.3. Oh, okay. uh, yeah, yeah, so that's a potential one. Yeah. Stefan Winooski would save $3 million. And Chris Maragos would save $2 million. So outside of Foles, the other handful of names that I mentioned could clear $31.8 million in, in cap space, which you know puts us at uh, about you know, $20 million under the cap. Oh, okay. So wow. that's, that's a scenario where now maybe you, maybe you do sign Ajayi, Darby, mm-hmm. or Graham. But I, you know, I, I also don't think they're going to they're gonna get rid of all of those guys. But there, there's, a, there's a few valid candidates there, like, Peters or like a Michael Bennett, if you'd rather keep Graham than Michael Bennett, because because Bennett has no dead money. But there are ways to though free up space. That's really what I'm talking because you know Darby yeah. with Darby, he he's easily replaceable. I don't want to say easily replaceable, but they have a lot of depth at corner. Some really yeah. nice young talent that I like with you know Sidney Jones, Mills, Razul Douglas. I'm kind of a fan of Ajay even yeah. too. Corey Clement, I mean, he was an undrafted guy. Like you you were talking about, the Eagles haven't invested a lot of money there. So it was more just, though, can they free up space if they want to keep a few of these guys? And again, like you mentioned, they're going to have to eventually pay Wentz, right? So Mm -hmm. um, 2021. Yeah. So let's go to Ajayi real quick, though, before we get to – because I do want to get into Carson Wentz. But looking at a guy like Ajayi, he's only 25 – you know, he has had success in the NFL, big year in with Miami a couple years ago. Um, running backs do, you know, with the whole Le'Veon Bell situation right now, running backs struggle to get friendly deals. And Ajayi has continuing knee issues that he's dealt with over his football career. Even with a strong season, is Ajayi going to be a hefty price to keep in Philadelphia? Or is he someone that you can get on a team-friendly deal no matter what he does in 2018? I, I think there's some uh, there's some validity to the team friendly deal thought because and and also the Eagles are going to be the people with the most information on him. So from That's a true. from a Medical health perspective, yeah. yeah, and from a seeing him every day perspective. So I don't think the market for him is going to be very uh, very fruitful. I don't think there's going to be a lot of people out there saying I'm going to pay JHI six to eight million dollars because of the knee issues. Right. So it it might be a scenario where that he's someone they could keep for like three or four million dollars a year, which which depending on what they think about his knee, is is a potentially pretty good, pretty good, really good opportunity to keep a guy who could be a thousand yard rusher, depending on that knee. I mean, I, it's something with his meniscus, right? It's like bone on bone there. Yeah. He doesn't have a meniscus, 
I, th- I think that's the that's the problem with Ajayi. I'm not totally familiar with his knee issues. He, he looked pretty healthy last year, but it's something that's you know continued throughout his career. That's kind of you know hampered him back a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's been since since he was drafted. He he was yeah. a second round, late first round kind of prospect. But then the knee issues dropped him all the way into the fifth round, I believe. Yeah, he was a fifth round pick. I really liked him out of Boise State. He was actually one of my favorite running backs. So it wasn't. Oh, a, me too. It's not a. It's never been a talent thing with him. It, but it is. Teams are concerned with that injury. They are. Yeah, because like like they were saying heading into the draft is that a lot of people didn't think he would play past his rookie contract. So yeah. That's, it's not a. It's not a scenario where I mean even even though running backs don't have a pretty bare market, even at running back, people don't want to take that risk that they won't even be able to re-sign the guy. Do you think so it, teams, sorry to go off track, but do you think teams are ever, like, is the running back market ever going to change? Like, we're seeing the Bell situation today. I don't blame teams for taking advantage of the running back market, like not wanting to pay guys when you can get cheap players from the draft and not really have to pay. You pay them like kickers, essentially. Even Bell's yeah. struggling to find a deal that he wants. Do you think this is something that maybe the NFLPA maybe a lot like the when the new CBA comes up is it going to have to come to that or like I know Le'Veon's going to hit the open market next year and so is David Johnson do you think the running back market's going to change for the better for these players or is it only going to be devalued even more from a money perspective because it just doesn't seem like teams even with Le'Veon Bell who's so elite in almost every aspect of the game it doesn't seem like teams don't even want to pay him Sammy Watkins money yeah, the uh, what what was the latest on uh, on what what they've offered Bell? So they offered he wanted around I think it was seventeen million dollars. Right now he's making they offered him north of ten million for, you know, on a long term deal, but he on the franchise tag right now is making I think around fourteen million. So right. Le'Veon wanted over the franchise tag price that he has right now. They also have to match you know his impending unrestricted free agency, which is going to I'm sure boost his value next year. So mm-hmm. it seemed like they just. Exactly. It seemed like they just wanted to pay the position and not the player. That's really what the report's been. Yeah, right, right. And and, and it's, it's a difficult – and here's the thing that, that's frustrating me about the Bell scenario is that it's become clear to me that they're going to use him up and kind of discard him. That's part of why they're not going to give him more than a couple uh, – a little bit over $10 million because yeah. they've given him like, – he's, he's touched the ball like something like 700 to 800 times in the last two seasons. And if you add, what, another – what 300 targets next year i mean i would almost consider sitting out all of next year for Le'Veon bell there's almost seemed like there's no incentive to play next year the thing it's it's, it's the tough. market it's i'm i'm currently doing a job with uh i'm working with an insurance company we're doing value loss insurance and yeah and one of the next projects i want to do for them is look at the 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 the, the six-month injury rate for like each position mm-hmm. so that i can get an understanding of is the running back market or are running backs hurt at a higher rate than all these other positions? Because uh, that's kind of the perception is that running backs are going to get hurt. Yeah. They're going to be done by 30. But a lot of positions are done by 30. Kind of every position is done by 30. You can argue other receivers than, is the same way. Yes. I mean, like every – a lot of these – so are we wrong in our perception or is there validity to the fact that you don't want to pay a running back because of the kind of wear and tear he's going to get. And just thinking from a, from from a, how the position is played. I mean, just the mathematics of a running back. You are 230 at most, 230, 240 pound mm-hmm. uh, player running into 300 pound linemen and running into 
linebackers who are 260 pounds and, and, and are, and are going to, and are creating massive amounts of force on your body. It's such a, a, a grind. I right. mean, there may be no position that, that is withstanding so much mathematical force over the course of a season. Um, so it's like, from a positional standpoint, and from, from where you started with the beginning of the question, like, in Chapter 10 of Caponomics, I, I, I go into the new CBA and what people should be trying to do with it yeah. in terms of increasing rookie pay, because running back is the position that sticks out most to me, where it's like, even if you're a great running back, you don't see any, you don't see money. Because you're first off, you're, you're drafted in the second or third or fourth round, even if you're great. Mm-hmm. So then there's uh, the scenario where when you get to that second contract, even if you're a great running back, you're, you're going to get a, at best get a deal like Doug Martin where like you get like seven, $8 million a year. Right, because you then could after just find a guy, right? Later that'll match maybe 70% of his production. And also, exactly, that's exactly right. But then also, so much of the running back's production is based on how good his offensive line is, that's which is true, part of true, yeah. why – what was that? I said, yeah, that too. I mean, because the yeah. offensive line is so crucial to the running game. It almost seems like, too, it's the position itself. People think they can find that production similar to it yeah. on a cheap deal, so it's not worth paying a guy $15 million if I can go in the fourth round and find an, a Jordan Howard. Yeah, and and it, it, can I go to the fifth round, uh, fourth round to find that? And then can right. I can I just draft two running backs and find that? Yeah. So so what's the opportunity cost of, uh, you know, what's the cost of in the draft cost versus the paying Le'Veon Bell fifteen million dollars? So there's a there's a lot of these questions that just don't don't favorably uh, don't favor the running back because it's just the philosophy of what people are thinking about the position. And and if you if you're going to spend money, would you rather spend money on your offensive line? Which is going to make, help any running back you put back there, and also the quarterback, and help the entire offense, like we saw with the Eagles. Yeah. Or are you going to spend that money on a running back? I mean, would you rather have a guard for thirteen million or Le'Veon Bell for fifteen? It's, it's probably it's not just, Le'Veon, right? Right. I mean, I would probably rather have the guard or the tackle, or you know. So I mean, I'd rather strengthen the whole offense with that with that offensive line pick than. Than, than just bet on one running back. Yeah, it's tough. I feel, I mean, I don't disagree with the team's strategies because, again, right. the Eagles save a lot of money by just running three guys last year. Blunt, Clement, and Ajayi were huge. But like, but you do have to feel for the players of that position, though. Of because, course. like you said, it's such a grinding position, and it's a position virtually where you're just not going to see a big second deal almost ever. Even if you're, again, like Le'Veon Bell, yeah, he can get a nice long-term deal for 10-plus million, but... I th- he thinks his value is higher, and compared to some receivers, it probably should be. It's it's so tricky that I don't know if it's going to be a thing that in the new CBA, I don't know, Todd Gurley mentioned guaranteed money. It's just such a tricky situation because you don't blame the teams for not wanting to pay them. No. But then you, the human perspective is like, man, it's got to suck. Just they won't, They're just getting paid like kickers, essentially, for such a yeah. grueling job. I feel the same way you do. I feel yeah, the same way tough. you do because it's... It, it's the hard. It's probably the hardest position in the sport, but because of the the various strategies that teams can use to avoid paying money there, and because it's from a from a cap perspective, it, it's become a position where teams can know they're going to save money, which allows them to save, spend money elsewhere yep. to better craft a, a more complete roster. Tough. So it, it's, it's a <laughs> difficult thing. We're talking with Zach Moore of OverTheCap.com. Let's wrap it up with quarterbacks. I want to talk about Carson Wentz. He's going to need a new contract extension. 
What what do you think should be the, the strategy with Wentz? Is is it the earlier the better when signing Wentz since he likely I mean he's likely going to get a it seems like every quarterback that's up for a new deal gets like the league high deal. If he bounces back from his ACL just fine this year, he looks really good so far in mini camps and he looked good in OTAs. From a cap standpoint, could they even realistically do it as soon as maybe next year or is this something down the road? Like what when, when do you see a Carson Wentz extension coming? I, I, to your point about signing him next year, because um, of the cap room we just discussed could be cleared, Yeah, um, there is the potential to maybe re-sign him because the whole point of the extension then would be, all right, we'll give him some money now. Uh, it'll only be a slight increase in his cap hit next year. You'll, you'll factor in that fifth-year option and, and you know fact, factor in a signing bonus now to try and Get a little bit more of a savings down the road in the, in those in those years after that fifth year option. Yeah. So if you sign, and the other thing is too, is if you sign him next year, you have the potential of avoiding a quarterback market that could be at thirty five or thirty six million dollars a year <laughs> by the time twenty twenty one rolls around. So right. it, it, there there there's some benefit there to doing it then. There's some potential benefit to doing it before the fifth year option, because um, because what you're trying to do as an organization when you're thinking about. Um, an extension, and this is why Howie Roseman has been so successful with some of these extensions that he does, is because you're you're giving a player who's going to make, especially when it's after the first round, you're giving a player who's going to make maybe two million dollars next year at most if he's a second round pick, you know, one point nine million. Um, but then if you give him this extension, you know, you you increase his earnings now, but because of that increase in earnings now and that increase in security, you are also buying yourself lower cap hits down the road. Um, as seen by the Danielle Hunter deal, the Danielle Danielle Hunter just signed a uh, deal worth fourteen point five million dollars a year. Yeah. But if he were to wait till free agency next year, you know, who knows what he could have gotten? Maybe he got a seventeen million dollars a year deal, or maybe he got an eighteen million dollars a year deal after another good season and after Khalil Mack reset the defensive end market. So there's the potential for Wentz there, but there's also there's the other side of this where it's like he's going to be a pretty good deal the next two years and you're going to have to pay him a lot of money at some point anyway so maybe you do wait until 2021 and and you do and when the when a lot of these guys the core of this roster is no longer uh on the team because you've got one thing that howie roseman's done with these extensions and such is i mean the core of this team because we're a little concerned about the the salary cap space next year yeah but uh by 2020 they the the eagles should have about 50 million in cap space so you're, there's a little bit of a concern there, but Roseman has the part of why we're not too concerned in 2019 is because he's locked in basically the entire core of the roster. Really, yeah, uh, he is. Through, through at least 2019, most of them through 2020, some of them even through 2021. So he, they put themselves in this in this strong position where they can go in either direction, depending on you know a few moves that they make along the line here and, and what they're able to agree with on when, you know what. What kind of uh, are they going to be able to get him at a at a slight discount uh, because of um, because they sign him to an extension? Because if you, if you give him more money next year and in twenty twenty than what he was going to make, is he willing to sign that? And what kind of deal are they going to be able to get on the back end? Uh, are you what and like what about guaranteeing the contract because you know he's going to be a player for you? So then you get even a little bit more. And then you add an extension. Uh, you add a signing bonus in there too, and 
So there's there's a few moving parts there that uh that you you can think about, but no matter what position they're in, what what they do with Wentz, they're they're in a really great position moving into the future because I I look at the 2020 roster too, and it it seems like the whole team will still be together then. So yeah. it's like the the Super Bowl core is going to be together till at least 2020. I didn't. I didn't realize it. So why is it that they're in such good cap shape down the road with this fifty million that you're suspecting they're going to have in open cap space? Is it just it, an increase it, in the salary cap, or? Yeah, yeah. There's. I I've done projections um, for the future cap, and I think 2020 will have about a cap of uh, the cap will be north of 200 million at that point. I think based on I based my projections on past salary cap increases uh, of. The cap increases at about seven point five percent increase each year. Mm-hmm. So just factoring in that increase, and because the salary cap now is at you know one hundred seventy seven point two million versus it being at a hundred million ten years ago, uh, the the cap is rapidly it seems like it's rapidly increasing, but it, it's increasing at a steady steady pace to what it's always done. So that that's why I think they'll have about fifty million. Wow. Zach Moore of OverTheCap.com is joining us on the Locked on Eagles podcast. He also wrote the book Caponomics, so make sure you go check that out. Zach, thank you so much. This was an awesome conversation. I'm sorry I probably took up more of your time than I told you, but some awesome Don't stuff worry. we got into. I didn't, I'm feeling better now about the Eagles cap situation, and it's, it's an area that I'm trying to learn more about, and I think fans are, and I think you have done a really good job of kind of opening our eyes and really explaining it in a way. I mean, I've been reading the book for the past couple of days, and I already feel like I know a lot more about it so i appreciate your work and i appreciate you coming on today thank you very much i'm really happy to hear that and uh, zach where can i before i let you go where can they find your stuff where can they buy the book how can they follow you on social media just uh, give a plug you can find the book at amazon caponomics building super bowl champions and you mm-hmm. can follow me on twitter at zach Moore nfl awesome zach thank you so much again hopefully we'll talk to you down the road all right man all right anytime all right thanks zach have a good day all right, that was Zach Moore of OverTheCap.com joining us right here on the Lockdown Eagles podcast. That was some awesome stuff, really interesting things. I didn't realize the Eagles are going to have almost $50 million in cap space in two years. That's the thing. I mean, if we can get maybe just Brandon Graham and Ajayi signed next year, I'll let Darby go. That's fine. And even with a Wentz extension, they're going to be able to keep the majority of this core in locked in tight and he said there's some m- ways to maneuver even next year. If I, I expect Jason Peters maybe to get let go unless he has just a really another dominant season in 2018. There's, you know, you can get out of $2 million for Chris Marigo. So he even said there's room for around $30 million next year where the Eagles could free up cap space by getting rid of some, you know, crucial players, but not guys that are going to be, you know, ride or die with the Eagles to contention down the road. So, Awesome stuff. Again, the salary cap is something that it's like it's an unexplored area of the NFL. We all look at sites like OverTheCap.com, SpotTrack to find out the Eagles' situation, but it, there's so many moving parts that, like he just said, we all say, "Man, how are the Eagles going to get all this done?" And then you look down the road, and it's saying they realistically aren't going to lose anything. It's such a cool area of football, and I really appreciate him coming on. So that's going to do it for today's edition of the Locked on Eagles podcast, available on the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Louis DiBiase, kicking off the new week. we got one more week to go until NFL training camp. Tomorrow we start off our positional previews with, you know it, the quarterback position, and then each day we're going to go down the line 
dig into the roster that we have, which won the Super Bowl back in 2017. Thanks for everyone to listening to us today. Thank you. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iTunes, and Spotify, wherever you find podcasts. And, of course, always LockedOnEagles.com. Follow me on Twitter at DBiase, L-O-E. Thank you, and let's go, Birds.